You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme now, Met Aaron have uh, extended their low temperature warning and this is a yellow status, yellow low temperature and ice uh, warning and they've extended it now and it's in it's in place until 12pm tomorrow and they're saying temperatures could go as low as minus 5 degrees Celsius uh, overnight so they're advising people to please, please be careful. I did see online there was some snow showers and some accumulations of snow but they were in northern counties uh, particularly saw, you know, beautiful white snowy scenes in Donegal. There was pictures from Leitrim, Mayo and uh, Sligo. So the north of the country certainly is uh, getting the the worst but we're going to have another very cold night tonight and tomorrow night is going to be another bitterly cold night. But if you want to take any comfort, Met Aaron are saying that the weather is expected to turn milder over the weekend we'll take that but it's certainly chilly from now up until the weekend John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103 if there's anything you want to get off your chest we'd love to hear from you you can text or WhatsApp the programme to 0862103103. and I wonder what the temperature was like last night inside in Porky Cueve when all of the delegates were meeting and it was one of those meetings you would wish that you could be a fly on, on the wall but of course there wasn't any media flies on the wall uh, yesterday but we do know and we discussed it yesterday and we had a huge huge reaction to it as indeed I would say every other uh, radio station uh, in Cork and indeed some of the national radio stations and TV stations all picking up on this story of the proposal to rename uh, Porky Cueve. Now it's been paused while further talks will go on. Now some will say is it been paused because of that public backlash because it was a huge public ba- backlash when the news broke and we started talking about it yesterday morning that Porky Cueve would be re- renamed Super Value Pork. Um, at, now there was a behind closed doors meeting of the county boards. The media were not allowed uh, at that and now that was decided before Christmas. But delegates... Uh, according to the Irish Examiner today, told the Cork GAA executive that a compromise must be reached and that compromise must be reached and somehow to retain the name Porky Cueve in any deal that they do, be it with the supermarket giant or be it that they do with anybody else. Now, according to the Examiner this morning, SuperValue was not agreeable to Porky Cueve being retained in the new stadium title and that seemingly was during the initial consultations with the Cork GAA and I wonder, I mean certainly Cork GAA are going to listen to their grassroots but I'm wondering, Super Value is, you know, by its very nature, they're a supermarket that are really steeped in local communities. I'm convinced that the powers that be a Super Value would have been listening with great interest yesterday to the backlash as well so they may change their mind on what they had initially hoped that they would just get Super Value a park. Um, I think they... I think they'll have a bit of a change in this, but again, only time will tell. Now, there was a statement issued by Cork GAA last night, and that was following the 24 hours of criticism of this proposal to call it Super Value uh, Park. And they say no new stadium name has been finalised in this brief statement that they released last night. The GAA confirmed that talks with Super Value are ongoing, and they say both sides have been conscious of the public debate over the last 24 hours. A number of seemingly of delegates at the meeting last night said Super Value Porky Cueve, that would be an acceptable alternative 
in the renaming process. And as we discussed yesterday, and we spoke about a number of different stadia around the country, GAA stadiums who have taken on a sponsor, but they've left their original name in place. So there is kind of a precedent there from other uh, GAA Stadiums, so why can't we do the same? And of course, the Thornish, the Michal Martin, uh, he rode in, as did the grandson of Porico Cueve, who is the legendary GAA administer, administrator, and that's who Porco Cueve is named after. They were just so among, they were among the many who expressed absolute outrage yesterday when it came out about this the possibility of the renaming. Michal Martin said he was deeply disappointed. He was actually annoyed, he said, at the proposed reband, rebanding, uh, which is part, of course, of a proposed multi-layered naming rights deal for the stadium. It's worth anything up to one and a half million and that would be spread out over five years. Now, Michal Martin, he raised it at a, with cabinet, um, at a cabinet meeting yesterday. He told cabinet ministers, the government needs to look at how it manages state funding for stadiums in the future. Given the 30 million euro of taxpayers' money, which was allocated to Porky Cueve as part of their redevelopment project back in 2014. And Michal Martin made the point that when the exchequer and the government gave that 30 million to the GAA in Cork. They did it without any conditions attached on future naming uh, rights. So he's saying they may have to stop and look at how they give money in the future. Now, um, uh, Podrigo Cueve's Padre O'Creeve's grandson, Donal, he says he was deeply shocked and saddened by the proposal to drop his grandfather's name from the stadium, adding that he only learned about it through the media. Now, he said nobody from the GAA reached out to him. and There's been a lot of criticism for that to say that at least uh, uh, Padre O'Creeve's family could have been contacted to say, look, we're going into negotiations on this. It's looking like we may have to uh, change the name, but it seems the family uh, weren't informed. So Donal, the grandson, said the fact that the county board meeting was held behind closed doors last night and that, he said, was done for the first time. He says that that's profoundly undemocratic. He said, I have faith that Porky Cueve will forever retain its original name in the hearts and the minds of the people of Cork. He said, I understand the importance of raising funds for the sustainability of the GAA but he says there needs to be sensitivity to uh, history. Now we do know that of course the Cork GAA and Porky Cueve they are in debt to some 30 million euro that's still outstanding from the redevelopment of the stadium. The chief executive of the Cork GAA, Kevin O'Donovan, he says uh, it has a responsibility to ensure a firm financial footing for the organisation. And he said, you know, a major opportunity to ensure the success of Cork GAA was, was a wider commercial strategy. And he said it includes naming rights for what is their biggest asset. Their biggest asset is Cork Creef. But he also says that any funding that will come in through sponsorship uh, will also be used to help ensure that all of the games from Rebel Oak to Intercounty will continue to grow in the years ahead. So he said it isn't just about paying off the debt on Porky Creef, it's for the future of the uh, GAA locally. And actually we did reach out to Kevin O'Donovan, the Chief Executive of the Cork GAA and um, he was 
in contact with John Paul this morning, but he said they've nothing else to add at the moment bar that statement that they issued uh, last night uh, to say, just to confirm that negotiations and discussions are going on, but they're not saying yay or nay as to what Porky Cueve will be called uh, into the future. And I saw that the Lord Mayor of uh, Cork, uh, Kieran McCarthy, he's leading calls for some kind of a compromise on this uh, renaming. Uh, he described the stadium as the Coliseum of Sport in uh, Cork. That's well put. And he said that Porky Cueve is as synonymous with Cork as Shandon is. And he said it should be retained as part of any potential uh, deal. And certainly yesterday, if you were tuned our way, uh, I would say 90% of the commentary we received yesterday were from people who were totally taken aback that Porky Cueve's name would uh, change. And now some people were saying, yeah, they would be, they would be happy with Super Value Porky Cueve or Porky Cueve Super Value, whatever way you want uh, to put it. But there was very few were in favour of getting rid of uh, Porky Cueve. But I have to say, we did have a lot of interaction from people saying they could understand where the GAA in Cork were coming from on uh, this. They have to look outside of how they raise money through matches. They have to go on the commercial route. It's, you know, very much a fact of life. And, you know, others pointed out that soccer clubs, uh, you know, all over the UK and all over the world, they do the same thing. They'll go into deals. Rugby clubs uh, do it. So it isn't anything new. And if they have a debt that has to be paid, this is one way of paying down some of that debt. So it's been paused at the moment. How are you feeling about that this morning? We'd love to hear from you. 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 103 103. And do you think that it has been paused because of that public backlash? Do you think they are really listening to the people and if they really listen uh, to the people uh, do you think they will never again consider uh, anything like dropping Porky Cueve you can email the programme your emails are welcomed to corktoday at c103.ie With a cold morning out there Frick is robbing a priest from Fools and Horses to say there was fierce banging on his door this morning it was a brass monkey crying uh, to be taken in <laughs> it is cold out there for sure OK on the renaming of Porky Cueve. Somebody was saying, look, isn't it lucky that it wasn't Pfizer who offered sponsorship? They would have had to have called it Viagra Park. It's an absolute joke, says this texter. The Cork County Board have always been about money and now they are proving it, says this um, particular texter. No name on that. Um, This is from a listener in West Cork. Hi, Patricia. We must get to the root cause of the spending of Porky Cueve. The Cork GAA spent over €100 million approximately on the redevelopment of the stadium that's possibly full four days a year, maybe three days more with concerts out of retention 365 days a year. A relative of mine said a Premier League team in England would only spend €100 million for stadium repairs for matches and they play matches weekly on their grounds. We need to get to why so much money was invested into Porky Cueve. Adam in Rochestown understands the frustration of people but if Cork GAA is in debt surely people can understand the reason why the GAA went down this road to look at all the options to generate money. Delegates spoke last night and maybe they caused the pause after the reaction they would have heard from people on the ground. Uh, Adam's suggestion is why not go down the route that a lot of people are saying super value pork equive. Pattern from Moy says go even shorter. 
He says simplify it completely and call it SV Porky Queef. Keep it short and simple. Don't know if super value would be in favour of that, uh, Pat, because I don't know if SV, people would identify super value as SV. And uh, Ricky says, I think we need to move with the times. Uh, if the stadium is to survive, it needs to be rebanded and commercial entities are the ones that will provide that money. But the big question is how underused Porky Queef is. A huge amenity near the city centre only a handful of matches being played every year. Surely more games should be played there. I know there is a cost of opening and closing the ground, but maybe with commercial help we could see it being used more and maybe by having it used more it would generate more uh, income. Carmelin Clan says if they knew there would be a debt, why did they go ahead and build the stadium? It would be like me building a house and then after saying, oh, oops, I can't afford to pay for at it. 0818103103. That's just some of your calls and texts coming in. And thanks to, this is on a completely different topic. Dan was on to us earlier in the week to say we could, could we find out about possible roadworks that were planned for Mallow to Killarney. He was trying to get he was trying to find further information about it. We did find out about it yesterday. I just didn't get a chance to mention it. Uh, the roadworks will commence at the end of January and as Dan pointed out, they will run for 25 weeks. It's on the N72 Mallow to Killarney Road and they will consist of the uh, uh, remediation of the road surface ensuring better road safety and also there's going to be installation of drainage between Carrigaline and Lislahan on the N72. Now the works are known as the Liar de Owen overlay scheme and it is near the Rathmore side of the N72 between the Cullen Turnoff and Rathmore. Okay, and I know Dan who contacted us was from Rathmore, so it obviously is going to affect him. So you can expect delays for uh, the 25 weeks that that uh, remediation work is going on and I'm assuming that a lot of people in the area will be glad to hear that they're getting a new surface. 0818 103 103. Your lines are open. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Restaurant Association of Ireland has called for the urgent intervention to combat what it is described as a crisis in the industry and sadly we've seen a number of cafes and restaurants closing here in Cork. West Cork Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christo O'Sullivan is adding his voice to the cause for a reduction in the VAT rate to help support the hospitality sector and uh, Christopher joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you Christopher. Hey Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now many people warned that increasing the VAT rate bringing it back from the where the 9%, bringing it back to the 13.5% would be the tipping point for many. Would you agree that that VAT rate should have been left at 9%? Yeah, certainly for food-related hospitality, uh, Patricia. And I, I flagged this, uh, I was looking over the all records there just to make sure that I wasn't, uh, that, that I was speaking factually, but I flagged this back in March with the Taoiseach when I called for an action plan for small towns and businesses, particularly relating to uh, to to uh, small cafes, restaurants within within towns that I felt were were um, just really struggling to cope with escalating costs. You know, whether it was energy or just simple, uh, you know, ingredients for their for their menus. You know, it's it's things like carrots and and tubs of mayonnaise that are really 
adding up in terms of, of the cost. So I flagged it back in March. I, I brought it up again with the Tourism Minister, Catherine Martin, uh, pre-budget. And of course, I brought it up with, with our own Minister of Minister of Finance, Michael McGrath, uh, prior to that as well. And, and actually, what I was asking for in that instance, because I think, unfortunately, what, what has happened here, and I've been on your show about this before, uh, Patricia, is that the cafes and the restaurants got caught up in the whole debacle with accommodation uh, where you know hotels in Dublin were charging extortionate prices um, you know for, for gigs over the last couple of years I think that left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth and I think um, for many uh, it was it was the, the kind of death knell for that hospitality uh, uh, special nine um, percent rate that was in place up until uh, the recent budget so you know that, that I, I think I imagine that is what's happened. Um, but what I asked for was a, a mechanism where this there could be a split between those food-led hospitality businesses, for example, the cafes, restaurants, or hotels that you know rely mainly on food um, and accommodation. And I think that would have would have fixed it. Uh, so it, look, it, it is something that I flagged. I, th I do think it would make a huge difference in in trying to ensure that these businesses that we must remember, Patricia, a lot of these businesses that we're hearing. Uh, are struggling they're having no problems filling tables i mean they're they're yeah they're, that's they're that, that is the problem it isn't that it's a footfall issue and that people aren't aren't going in but it's the actual cost of doing business that is crippling them yeah like it, it's, it's it's kind of a, sad really because we know economically this country is doing really well uh we're flying it in many respects in terms of our you know earnings and in, in terms of employment you know almost zero percent in employment so from that point of view we're doing well but it would be such a shame that a legacy of that would be that we lose these really lovely uh, businesses, these cafes, restaurants um, that offer such a unique offering inside in our towns and villages. They're such an important part of the fabric of the town. Um, so we, we, we must, you know, although we have to drive on in terms of economic growth and, and trying to ensure that we are economically sustainable, I think we have to look at that bigger picture. And I think one of the one of the challenges that uh, Minister McGrath, who I felt was really held a bit, or sent a bit of a hospital pass on this one, to be honest. You know, this was decided prior to him becoming Minister for Finance, but, you know, he, he, so it was a tricky one for him. But I think one of the issues that he did flag was that, for example, to split uh, the VAT rate on hospitality and accommodation, uh, in, in other words, reducing uh, the VAT rate for food down to 9% would cost the state about 500 million that's half a billion it's 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 certainly not a small figure and then the 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 cost of reducing the it on the accommodation side if you bear with me for a second it would be about 250 million now 500 million seems like a lot but i think in the grand scheme of things the 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 economic value of keeping this business open is extraordinary in terms of the employment and the indirect spend within a town or within a region but also um you know, it's just the social aspect of having these outlets for people that they're able to go and, and eat out once in a while. Um, and I think that's important. So so what I, my understanding is the increase in the VAT rate, what it means is that, look, with all these increased costs, as I said, the, the cost of the carrots or the tomatoes or the mayonnaise, businesses don't want to be charging 22, 23 euro a meal. There's, there's businesses out there that I've heard at the moment, they're, they're trying to keep their prices at maybe 12, 13, 14 euro for a decent meal, you know, which I think is reasonable. And they're trying to avoid those hikes up to 20, 22 euro, which they're saying they have to do to, to, to make it profitable. So that's the, that's the challenge here. And I think a reduction in VAT rate back to 9% for food would allow a bit of a cushion for 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 uh, cafes and and restaurants, uh, and to, Christopher, to... do do you know has it ever seriously been looked at to actually split one rate for food and one rate for accommodation? 
It was, and I know this personally because we did, there's a group of us within the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party who would certainly have a kind of a hospitality hat on. Obviously, I'm from West Cork and tourism is everything. You know, it's it's, it's such a big part of, of, of what we do down here. But there's a few other TDs as well that we're all, um, you know, kind of in, in that similar mindset. And we, we approached Michael about it. In fairness, I think Michael had, uh, had an understanding. But we know that there was approach because he did get that split, that 500,000 versus 250 uh, for accommodation. But also he did approach revenue about the possibility of a mechanism to split it. Revenue, um, I, I firmly believe that that revenue have a bit of a, uh, a a poor attitude towards hospitality in general. And I think that's probably marred by the whole accommodation sector and, and the, the what happened in those Dublin hotels. But um, they felt that trying to implement such a mechanism of splitting it would be too difficult. I don't believe that for a second, Patricia, because this is what they've done in Europe. They've done in other countries. They've been able to split uh, accommodation and food, and it's worked quite well. And that 9% that we talk about for food, that's pretty much your your that, that's, that's your average across other European countries in terms of VAT rate for hospitality. So we're kind of... We're, 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 we're making ourselves less competitive compared to other EU countries by uh, having this 13.5% VAT rate. Yeah, yeah. And I think every time we mention reducing it, I think you're right. I think, you know, it's constantly pointed to, oh, look how much hotels are charging and those hotels predominantly are the ones in the capital. Because I even saw the Tánaiste and your party leader, Michal Martin, when he was asked about it uh, this week about the possibility of, of reducing it by the 4.5%, even as a temporary measure. Uh, he says, when we did bring it down, a lot of the hotels didn't bring down prices. The prices went up, as we witnessed across many towns and cities in the country. So it's, and, and I know for people in running a small little independent cafe, people run, running a restaurant, that's galling for them to hear that, that they're being tired with these larger hotels. Yeah, that's exactly the point that I tried to make, and, and and I think that's the explanation as to why it went back up. There's there's a mixing of the two. There's a confusion of the two. <clears throat> even look, even if you do take it on an accommodation basis, there's no way these the West Cork hotels that I know, those family-run hotels, were partaking in the same what I would call price gouging as those double hotels. That's first and foremost. But actually, many of these hotels, family-run hotels in West Cork that I'm talking to, they would be quite happy with that 13.5% VAT rate to remain for accommodation, most of them at least. But food is such an important part of their business. If you think of the incredible wedding venues that we have here in West Cork, in, in fact, many of our hotels, food is a bigger part of their business model because they have weddings. Every weekend, they might have three to four weddings. Uh, the, the food, obviously, uh, is a huge important part of anyone's wedding. Um, and the, 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 there have been this, 30, this increase in VAT rate has been lumped on that. So it wouldn't, there's plenty of hotels in this region that would benefit from that food only VAT reduction. And that's mm. exactly what they're calling for. Okay. So I agree with you. And, and look, we have a parliamentary meeting parliamentary party meeting tonight that I hope um, you know our party in fairness Michal is nearly at every one of those parliamentary party meetings I'll be making it quite clear that listen please do not uh, tarnish the, the food uh, and hospitality sector with what happened with that pros Yeah, because it's it's not fair. He did actually, uh, the Mayo Martin did also uh, speak about the cost of living package to support businesses. I think it's worth 250 uh, million uh, euro. Is that helping? Are you hearing from businesses? Is that helping? <laughs> Well, in fairness, I think there was a really great appreciation by businesses, particularly during COVID. Those packages that we introduced uh, uh, during COVID, the wage subsidy schemes, the, the energy support schemes, there was a real uh, appreciation and a gratefulness in terms of how government dealt with that and, and went through it. Some of the some of the measures in, in the uh, recent budget, I'm sure, will help. But there's some measures, for example, that all businesses aren't able to avail of and I think need to be reviewed. For example, one of them is that the state would pay 50% of the rates bill. Now, in fairness to Cork County Council, 
this year um they froze the rates at the at the current rate which is the first time in a long time that that's happened so that was an acknowledgement of the challenges that they had but um the state was supposed to pay 50 percent of, of rates for many of these businesses but many of businesses that we're talking about the smaller cafes and restaurants their their turnover isn't big enough to qualify for those schemes so they have to be reviewed so it's i'm sure some are benefiting but, um, but not all. We need to do more. Okay, and yeah. just very finally, just broadening it out a little bit, uh, Declan uh, has just commented saying, and while he accepts that hospitality uh, businesses are suffering and they are getting a lot of attention at the moment, uh, he wants to broaden it out and he says other small businesses are suffering um, as well. He says a lot of the smaller independent retail stores, many of them are closing across the region. And he said it's all down to the cost of doing business. He's citing things like high energy uh, costs. And then, of course, at the start of this year, we had new labour rules were brought in, an increase in the minimum wage, uh, more sick leave to be paid out. He's saying that might be okay for larger companies, but for small uh, companies that can't absorb all of those uh, costs, many small businesses are closing because of the cost of doing business. Mm. So, like, in in fairness to government, I think with things like the auto-enrolment for pensions, with things like the increase in the minimum wage, we're trying to make conditions better for the employee, which is is really important as well. And I can tell you, most businesses right across West Cork treat their employees very fairly. They pay them well enough. There's no doubt about that. But we're trying to kind of improve those terms. Unfortunately, I would I would agree with Declan in that all of these have come at once. Everything has come at once, whether it's the the extra sick leave, whether it's the the um, increase in minimum wage, the auto enrolment, the VAT increase. It's all come like one uh, tidal wave, uh, almost tsunami at once. And I think maybe perhaps it would have been a good idea to phase it out. So again, coming back to that announcement, like we announced in the budget that businesses would be able to avail of ten thousand euro of supports, but what we're finding is a lot of businesses are outside the remit of those supports and like the best example I could use I'm sure Declan and other reader, retailers pay quite a lot in in, in, in uh, uh, council or local authority rates um, we need to bring all of those into that bracket where 50% of their rates are covered Okay, and li- oh. there is there is talks this morning as well of this um, these payment plans being introduced that you know those who had, had debt warehousing whether it was VAT whether it was rates that this will be extended out even further to take a bit of pressure off businesses yeah because it's the first it's the first of May I think that uh, yeah I think everyone accepts that does need to be extended and just very very finally uh, Christopher have you a view on Super Value Park versus Porky Cueve. Yeah, as as Reggie said, I think uh, we got super value there. For, by, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. Paid for it. And, um, <laughs> listen, I, I I thought that the in fairness to the to the Tanish, his comments yesterday in relation to the fact that the state put thirty million into the into the project and um, of the importance, obviously, of uh, the O'Queeve name in the, in the history of the GA. I look, I think it has to remain Park O'Queeve. That's what we all have come to load of. And the GA is, is such it's a voluntary organisation. We shouldn't go down that route. Although jokingly, at the moment our GA grounds in Clannacilty are called Ahamilla just after the area I'm yeah. sure Super Value want, maybe wanted to look at doing the same deal with Clannacilty for the same amount of money We'd, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might we, we might consider talking to them about it because actually it's just called Ahamilla at the moment <laughs> which is no real significance Alright but they, it, it really does look like both the GAA and I think Super Value because Super Value were steeped in the community as well I think they, are, they are listening to people and they are listening to the public backlash for sure it, it is. I think the J do need to listen. It's, it's like the whole G go debacle. We need to remember it's voluntary. It should be access for all. You know, it it should. We should really keep that ethos within um, 
within the GA. Okay, so say all of us. So we leave it there, Christopher. Thank you for that. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thanks for Bye joining well. us. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, West Cork Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. A text in saying to people asking to remind motorists to light up, please, put their fog lights on. There is a lot of fog around. Now, it's starting to lift in some areas, but it's still quite dense in other areas. And uh, this texter says the amount of people that are driving around uh, and they're not lit up or they don't have fog lights uh, on. And then, of course, when you come out of the foggy areas, turn your fog lights off, please. Thank you for that WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The new year has certainly started off well for campaigners of better mental health facilities in the East Cork area with the announcement of an application for planning permission for a 10-bedded mental health rehab residence on the site of the existing Onakara facility. Welcoming the news, uh, Councillor Liam Quaid of the Social Democrats. Uh, Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I mean, uh, we listened. I'm delighted to have you on, particularly on such a good news story because you've mm. been involved in this campaign since Onakora was earmarked for closure back in, I think, 2021. And I've spoken with you on many, many uh, occasions. Do you know how and why the HSE have decided to change their minds and, and to build this new facility? Well, um, first of all, I think just to underline the significance of it, um, just two and a half years ago, um, what we were looking at was the removal of the entire service from East Cork and the, the plan, as I discovered from an FOI at that stage in July 2021, was to move as many residents as possible to St. Stephen's Hospital and actually potentially move two residents to uh, Mount Alvernia in North Cork, some 60 kilometres from Middleton. So two years of sustained campaigning um, has got us to a point where we now have uh, a house for three residents in Middleton that was purchased last year uh, that was uh, an investment of 814000 We have an, uh, an, another house that the HSC is on the point of purchasing, uh, which would be a similar investment. And as you said, um, they have just uh, submitted a planning application on the site uh, of, of the Onakura Centre for a new 10-bedroom. Uh, so that would be all, all of these placements would be single room en suite for the three services. And what that amounts to is... Um, multi-million euro investment in East Cork for people with the highest level of need. And we're looking at um, at least one to two million per year in staffing investment. It's brilliant. And, and uh, you know, uh, in, in several million at least in, in, in terms of the capital. I, I would say that um, we, were, we, were, we, we had, you know, an epic campaign going involving seven Oireachtas meetings, scores of parliamentary questions, several FOIs, dozens of news, newspaper articles, and we were getting nowhere really for, um, I'd say, about a year and a half. Um, and then eventually we got the three-bedroom house, and I think that was the cumulative pressure of the campaign. Um, I think the HSC board probably put um, intervened at that point. But I do feel that the change in, in local management um, early last year certainly coincided with better outcomes um, for, for the clients group and are yeah, and, and, credible. Uh, yeah, and we have to acknowledge, I mean, you were certainly at the forefront of this uh, campaign, but the family members, I mean, some of the okay. residents are extremely vulnerable people, not yep. able to, you know, publicly come out and speak up themselves and protest themselves. Mm. Their, their family members were the most amazing advocates, uh, Liam. Absolutely, and I, I think probably the, the most powerful aspect of, of the campaign and at great you know, emotional cost to, to them because they, they they had to share very personal stories yeah. in the public domain and they were, you know, this was not something they wanted to do but they were aware that, you know, sometimes when you when you need to um, push back against a very regressive uh, service decision, this is, this is often necessary. 
So I think all of that together, and I do feel that uh, Bernard Gloucester had a lot to do with this as well. Um, I, we, we had a commitment on paper from the HSC in, from May 2022 to build, um, to build this new service. But when I followed up 11 months later, there had been absolutely no concrete progress made whatsoever. Um, and I met Bernard Gloucester back in June uh, with NASA Horgan, and um, he, he did make a commitment to intervene at that point. And it was from there we saw the tin bed service um, materialising and, and the second house uh, in, in Middleton. But okay, I think and it's, 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 on, it's on the original site. Where, so, the, so what's on Onacar at the moment, uh, what's going to happen to that building? That's going to be demolished. Demolished, okay. And then on the existing uh, site. And have you seen the layout? Have you seen the plans for the building? I have seen the layout. It's a, so it's a single story. Um, it's a single story service, and I, obviously, you know, ideally, you would have um, maybe better use of, of the space. But I think, in fairness, the HSE's budget is under unprecedented strain, and it's all the more remarkable that we're getting this commitment because just in November, there, um, the HSE have announced a recruitment embargo across most disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that we're getting this multi-million euro investment in East Cork. Um, is, is really, you know, it's quite astonishing in that context, given all the struggle that we've had. Um, as regards the, so there is provision made for the fact that it's in a flood risk area. Um, there, there will be a raised floor okay. and, and, and other measures. Um, I, I, I suppose I, I don't feel like I'm, I have the architectural expertise to comment. I know, I know. Further, but but I, yeah. what I would say is we have a planning application now. You know, people can make observations on it. And the, the the substantive part of it for me is that it, it's in the town centre location, and it's a it's it's a real concrete uh, commitment from the HSE, and I think that's what matters above all. Um, and I, I have um, I, I have referred it to um, to friends of mine who, who would have that architectural kind of lens, and, and I'm interested to get their feedback. Okay, but so when do you expect to hear a decision on planning? Um, that that will be in 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 the next month or so. So okay. it'll be quite quickly. So, so we have, you have no dates on. Let's hope it all sails through uh, planning yep. and and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Any deadline on on when it would start? How long would it would have been like this take? Well, the HSC did give very very ambitious uh, timelines on that initially, okay. which were were a bit like they were saying they would start building in you know the first quarter of this year, which seems. Which seems a little bit um, over ambitious, but um, you know, I, I suppose the fact that the planning application is true now means we're we're um, we're, we're into an, a, a good tempo with it. So yeah, you're 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 a step on the ladder, and you're going in in the right direction. And yep. I'm ass, I'm assuming, Liam, uh, finally, um, great delight locally. This the news has yes, been received. Absolutely. Um, I know. I, I think it's important to say that you know we're in a remarkably better place. Um, than we were two years ago and I do commend uh, Bernard Gloucester and I commend the local managers and I've had frustrations with the local managers in terms of how they've declined to engage with me as a public rep but I, I do have to admit that um, their their commitment to this has been serious and meaningful and and uh, and families recognise that as well. Um, it, it must also be said that we didn't write every wrong that that uh, resulted from from disclosure, and I do still have ethical concerns about the transfer of some residents outside of the area of East Cork, and I will be following those up. Okay. Bernard Gloucester. Okay. Um, All but, right. But it is a, we're at a very significant 
uh, landmark, I think, with this planning application. Okay, no doubt. We'll speak again in the meantime. Liam, thank you for that and thanks for joining us yep. on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Social Democrat uh, Councillor for East Cork, Liam Coy. We're going to go to a quick uh, email to uh, Cork Today at c103.ie from Margaret. Thank you for this, Margaret, because this is to do with the book that came out before Christmas and it was called the Donnerell Memories book and it was basically a real huge big book with loads of photographs over the years from uh, Donnerell. It was fabulous, fabulous uh, book and we started getting a lot of calls in before Christmas for people saying can, where can I get a copy of that book because they sold out really really quick so the organisers and the powers that be behind the Donnerell's memory book have accepted that they've had an amazing response to the book and as predicted it did sell out really really fast and because of that many people were disappointed in the run up to Christmas because the books had literally flung off, uh, out from the shelves uh, so the committee now are asking the question is there enough interest for them to make a reprint feasible. They don't want to do a big reprint and then only so many of the books uh, get sold on the second rerun. So they need to hear from people and they've set themselves a deadline of St. Valentine's Day, 14th of February. So they want people to record their interest if you're committed, if you want to buy one of these books. And I know that there are a number of people overseas who are very disappointed when they discovered that this book was out and when they discovered it was, by the time they discovered it was out, they were all uh, gone. So if you can reach out to the diaspora overseas as well. Anyone from Donnerell seems to want to get their hands on this book. Now you can contact any of the committee members in Donnerell behind the Donnerell Memories book or I do have a mobile number as well 87 0876853898 if you are interested or you're one of those ones that was disappointed and want to purchase one of the Donnerell Memories book they are considering a, a reprint uh, good luck to all involved there 0818 103 103 now we were discussing restaurants closing in the last hour and in particular uh, with Christopher Sullivan we kind of expanded it out a little bit it's just the cost of doing business at the moment and unfortunately we are seeing the hospitality sector is very much under the spotlight because we're seeing restaurants and we're seeing cafes uh, closing we're seeing them here in Cork but obviously they're happening all over the country and then I mentioned a Price Waterhouse uh, PCW report that came out and they're looking at the cost of doing business for the small and medium enterprises and they're saying that this year we could lose up to a thousand small businesses and a lot of it is tied into the cost of uh, doing a business. Some of your thoughts in on that. One listener says uh, Patricia, no one has money to go out to restaurants or to eat out anymore because everyone is suffering with the cost of living uh, crisis. Uh, this listener is also saying, are there not too many cafes open at the moment? And some of them are, tra- are, are charging massive uh, prices. Why? I don't know if there's too many, because certainly we are seeing the closure of uh, some. And Tom says when we mentioned that footfall in a lot of these restaurants, particularly the ones that are closing, they're saying there's a lot of people in. But it's just that when they add up all the bills at the end of the day, uh, they realise they're not, they're just not financially viable anymore. Tom disagrees, though, on the footfall, that the footfall isn't down because he reckons the footfall is certainly down in the city centre and wonders if others noticed it. He said particularly along McCurtain Street, he's pointing the finger of, of blame. Nothing to do with the cost of living crisis. He's saying it's to do with the recent traffic changes. He thinks it's been a disaster and uh, he says and also then you've got traffic wardens who are waiting to pounce at every opportunity. Sorry to say, says Tom, but I wouldn't go near the city centre at the moment if you paid me. And he says that's all down to uh, traffic. And then on the splitting of the VAT and should we look at the VAT for hospitality, have one VAT rate 
for hotels and then a separate VAT rate for food um, and because at the moment everyone comes in under the one brush and whenever the, the Taunish, the Micheál Martin, made the same point that when the VAT rate was reduced to 9%, he said that we saw in some incidents hotels put up prices. And I would straight away say, if you dig into those figures of which hotels put up the prices, you could be guaranteed they were the Dublin hotels. They certainly weren't a lot of the smaller hotels from around the country. But that's led somebody to say, Patricia, for the price of three nights in Dublin, I could get a full week in Spain. And that would be flights and accommodation. Yes, some of the Dublin hotel prices are just ludicrous and if it happens in any way to coincide with a big event on literally the prices can can double in a matter of minutes of an event being announced it's really really frustrating for people 0818103103 Una says on retail etc and in particular on hospitality I'm sure the amount of staff now working from home has badly affected business particularly in retail and particularly in hospitality because staff who would have gone into the office might have nipped out for a coffee might have gone out for lunch maybe not every day but a couple of days a week and of course if they're now working from home or hybrid working there isn't there isn't as many people available to go for lunch in the middle of the day. But Una has also noticed the outdoor dining facilities, you know, the ones that became very popular during COVID when we were all encouraged to meet up outside. Una says some of them. Now, I don't know where she's taught. I don't know where Una is texting from. So I don't know what part of the city or county she's talking about. But she says some of them are starting to look very shabby and very tired and they're not enhancing the streetscape anymore. Is it not a contradiction to the idea of tidy towns. Are they going to be left to deteriorate? Millions of euros were invested in these, thanking you, says Una. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, and I know and in my mind, in my mind, I'm thinking of a number of those outdoor dining areas where, you know, you can grab your coffee, grab your lunch and sit outside. You're not seeing many people using them at the moment. But is that not down to the weather? When we get into the better weather in the spring and the summer, will we start to see a lot more people using them? I'm, I'm assuming that we will, uh, because after COVID, they looked at would they get rid of them or not? And businesses wanted them kept and customers wanted them kept. They liked the idea of being able to have their coffee or their lunch or eat or drink uh, outside. So I think it could could be down to the weather and just the, the fact that we're into winter and more than people not wanting to use them but I suppose only time will tell but it would be a pity if they have become shabby and they're deteriorating I think it's up to the businesses themselves uh, to look after them and to maintain them Still getting in calls and commentary on Porky Cueve Eddie in Mahan says when we go to Porky Cueve when the super value sponsorship goes through, will we get points on our super value club cards? And will it work that way? I've, oh, I've no idea. I don't know, Eddie, if you're tongue in cheek with your comment or not. I haven't heard whether you'll get extra super value points for attending. And there's no name on this says, if it does become branded as super value pork equief, then super value would be given a shop within the grounds. On busy match days, this could be a real advantage for people attending the matches. If they want to brand a stadium, then get adventurous and do what other branded stadiums in other countries do. I'm not too sure what when you're saying be adventurous. I haven't heard if a sponsorship deal with SuperValue means that SuperValue will open up a shop inside in the grounds. I, I don't have, I don't know what kind of negotiations are going on around that. I certainly haven't heard it mentioned, but this listener would like the idea of a SuperValue store being inside in the ground. 0818103103. A Kerry listener says on a different topic. Says, hi, Patricia. I watched the coverage of the Ross Grey uh, protest. This is the one 
at Racket Hall Hotel in Rossgray. I watched the coverage uh, on the TV and I thought it was very disturbing. But what I can't, and I can understand the concerns of the local people totally. The Gardaí, who, by the way, I have great respect for, says this listener, appeared somewhat heavy handed with people. And surely the public order unit wasn't necessary. Where was this unit when the Dublin riots were unfolding? I can't understand why our government are so hellbent on providing accommodation for so many asylum seekers and yet don't appear interested in our own homeless people right across the length and breadth of this country. Many of these unfortunate people are very vulnerable in this present cold weather. So I'm I'm assuming you're talking about rough sleepers. I wonder, is it because they're Irish? Uh, These are the people we should be raising our voices over, surely. If we treat these asylum seekers with uh, open arms, then let's not forget our own, says a a Kerry Lister. Now, I know we were hoping today, but Paul Sheen wasn't available to us. We are going to be speaking with the Simon community because I'm really interested in finding out about the rough sleepers and how they're getting on in this cold spell. And I know when we do get very cold weather, all of the charities like the Simon community who work with the the rough sleepers, they pull out all the stops to get as many people as possible uh, in you know, in and to get them uh, shelter. And I know people are so, so critical of the government at, this, at the moment and why are they hell-bent, um, you know, housing so many asylum seekers. The asylum seekers, unfortunately, are for the asylum seekers, they will say, fortunately, arrive into this country and the government will never know from day to day how many are going to uh, arrive. And and you are right, though, the local people are continuing to protest in Ross Grey. And, of course, one of their big bugbears, certainly listening to any of the people from, from Ross Grey, one of the main reasons that they're so upset about what's happening in Ross Grey is the fact that it's their last hotel standing. They now, they now don't have a hotel because this hotel is going to be used for 160 uh, asylum seekers. Well, it came out last night that the government is considering buying what is uh, already an empty hotel. There was a second hotel in Ross Grey, but it closed a number of years ago. They're considering buying that hotel and then using it for local people to have community functions. Now, it was the Fianna Fáil TD for the area, Jackie Cal, said he's received buy-in for the proposal from government leaders after he had a meeting yesterday with the Integration Minister, he said the Thetic and the Thornista have said they're open to examining would funds, what funds could be used to buy Grant's Hotel. Now, Grant's Hotel is a hotel that was in the centre of the town of uh, Ross Grey. So it's been closed. So they're saying they're looking at buying it and then opening it up as a community facility for uh, functions. Jackie Cal, the Fianna Fáil deputy, said buying the hotel, which is, by the way, up for sale and currently not in use, he said that could help appease local anxiety over asylum seekers being moved into the last hotel functioning, uh, Racket Hall Hotel. And locals have been uh, complaining from the very start the fact that the only hotel in town was going to be closed. And many people were citing, like I heard somebody saying, that they had their child's first Holy Communion there uh, last year. And where would they now go when if they had a Holy Communion or a confirmation or a funeral or a wedding or whatever? Now, meanwhile, the government has also been forced to announce there will be a fresh round of state supports for communities communities like Ross Grey, but other communities that are affected by the migrant crisis. And that's obviously, there's tensions. It's not just in Ross Grey, there's tensions in various places now around the country. So, Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, said areas of the country that are hosting the most Ukrainian refugees and are hosting the most asylum seekers, they will
will now be assessed for additional supports and additional services. Government officials are to draft up proposals to give extra resources. Now, they're going to look at things like health, because again, a big complaint from people is they're finding it hard to get a doctor's appointment or a dentist's appointment. So they're going to look at the area where there are a lot of asylum seekers and a lot of refugees to see what can they do to put maybe more doctors in the area, to look at education. Do they need more classrooms? Do they need more uh, teachers? And they're also going to look at are there areas that may need more policing? Now, there was a cabinet meeting yesterday and it was told that the government plans this a major information drive on the state's asylum policies and that will include providing more details on the enforcement of uh, deportations. And I think what they're trying to do there is the fact that it's a major information drive. They're trying to get the correct information out there. There's so much disinformation. I think every time I switch on to my social media feed, I'm actually getting sick of listening to some of the lies that are coming out from people. Uh, and of course, when somebody hears it once or sees it on Facebook or sees it on Twitter uh, or X, whatever it's called, uh, or, or in Instagram, instantly think, oh, it must be true because, you know, I heard so-and-so uh, say it. And there's a lot of misinformation. So it is up to the government to, to, to dispel a lot of the myths that are out there. Now, the ministers are going to to uh, discuss the €50 million Community Recognition Fund. And that's now in the process of having its funds drawn down and officials have been asked to establish the quickest route for giving supports to uh, communities. Yeah, I mean, if you're you're accepting that there are communities that are struggling and they are struggling because they have already housed so many Ukrainian refugees and asylum seekers and they don't have the resources, then they need to put in place as quickly as possible the funding and the money and the expertise and whatever is needed uh, to get that help to those people. 0818 103 103 John Paul has taken your cause and a very quick one someone was on to say uh, that they found a set of house keys they seem to be newly cut and they were found in the square in Bantry on Monday morning at about half ten. Did you hear of anybody losing newly cut keys. Uh, if so, we have the contact details of the person who's looking after them. C103 Jobs. Excavator drivers, banks, men and general operatives are wanted for full-time positions in trenching works throughout West Cork. You can email info at cro bar dot ie or call 87 64886780 Full-time office administrator required for an office in Cork City 087-706-8533 Customer service advisor wanted for a full-time position in, in Clonakilty CVs to margaret.healy at capital.com And Hair Envy in Mallow They have full and part-time positions available for qualified stylists and may also suit a fourth-year apprentice. Bernice is your contact at Hair Envy 022-55684 or you can email hairenvy10 at yahoo.com. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. You just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. With the cost of living crisis continuing, there has never been a more important time to take a look at your family finances and see if there are ways you could save money are Get Your Savings to Work Better for You. John Lowe is the money doctor and his annual book talking about all things 
Financial has just been updated to the 2024 edition and as always delighted that John Lowe joins me this morning. Good morning to you John. Good morning Patricia happy new year oh, to you. I, I was going to say a little bit late but we'll get in with the happy new year uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, greetings. Just uh, when did you I'm trying to work out how long uh, every year I interview you on your updated mm. book when did you do your first one? Would you believe uh, 19 uh, yeah, it is, no, 2006 2006 so it's the 19th edition uh, so it was 19 years of it. Wow. Actually, it's a very interesting story because um, in 2007, you may remember Pori Carrington won the, um, the, the, his first Open in Carnoustie. Yeah. And uh, I had played that course three weeks before he played it, by the way. I don't think there was any you know, connection, <laughs> but it, uh, I just happened to play it. And uh, so I sent him the second edition of the book. And about two, three weeks later, I got uh, a package in the office here in Silorgan I opened it up. There was no note. There was no card. It was just the 18th flag of Carnoustie signed by himself. Whoa. Now, not only did he did he send it, which was extremely nice, and it's now framed, of course, in my office. Um, but uh, I found out he went into the pro shop on the day he won the first open, and he bought all 1,000 flags at £65 each. So 65000 it cost him to get those flags. And then He's been distributing them ever since, you know, to various people who, who he feels deserve it. Uh, but the, inter- the, the really interesting part about this, I was saying this to a young lady at, a, at a, a kind of restaurant in Fox Rock called The Gables. And I was just, you know, uh, telling her the story of what happened with, with Podrick and how nice it was to get that flag and that it framed her all this. And the young fellow who was the, uh, the waiter, fabulous guy, really looked after so well. He interrupted and he said, I'm really sorry to interrupt you, he said, but uh, I too have a Podrick Harrington story and I'd love to share it with you if you allow me. I said, oh, please do, please fire ahead. He said, he looked at me straight and he says, I'm Paddy, his son. <laughs> <laughs> what were the chances? Oh my God. Well, it, the fact that I didn't, well, I wasn't taking his accent off, which is very easy to mimic, uh, was a blessing in, in itself. <laughs> and the fact that it was a good story about him as oh, well. Oh, it's a lovely story. But he's a lovely man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. And actually, his, his, uh, his, his viral um, videos on, on, on uh, how to play golf are absolutely, I can't praise him enough, actually, to be honest. Has, has it improved your golf swing? Well, I did play in Argentina about a week, two, week and a half ago, so um, I did beat my daughter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's got, yeah, it's got bagging rights. Hang on to that for a while. Now, this is uh, the 2024 book. As you update it every year. So do I assume you've got to wait until the budget come out, comes out? Did last, is last October's budget, yeah, last is that October, included? It's inclusive of that. And it's also, there's lots of things like a uh, 100 Ways to Save Cash, um, a special addendum. Uh, Jim Power, he has his economic forecast for both Ireland and, and the global economy um, for 2024. Uh, as I say, it's bang up to date, and it has it's absolutely everything, including uh, the teenagers, um, you and your money, which is this 148-page addendum mini-book at the back. And believe it or not, next September, Patricia, every single secondary school in Ireland will be getting a code uh, to the TY coordinator and, and principal to give to the TY students, and they will be able to download the book, the entire book, for free. 
but includes... You, you've been doing that for a number of years. For the, no, this is only the second year Oh, this is now. only the second year, okay. I just I remember, year. maybe it was last year I, I spoke to you about right, it. Yeah. But, but, but just talk to me about why you think it's important that teenagers, particularly those TY students, they're, they're about to head off then into, you know, the two years of leaving cert and then hope, please God, college or on a, yeah. into apprenticeships or jobs. You feel very strongly that, that young people at that age need to get a handle about finance. Absolutely, because, you know, uh, so many of them, um, I mean, they have obviously far more higher priorities, you know, like boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, uh, you know, uh, having fun. Um, and, and so when, when they're, when they're uh, kind of hit with financial information, they kind of, the, the eyes glaze over and they don't, like, I, I think I, I may, may have quoted last year even, uh, my son, who never failed an exam in his life, uh, he's a chartered accountant. He's, you know, mass in finance, B&L, everything he passed, never failed. And yet at 19 years of age, he's in UCD, and he says, Dad, what's an overdraft? Do you know, so that, that kind of thing um, is, is rampant right across. And I think that if, if I was that teenager, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, um, I, I mean, TY students are, what, 15, kind of going on 16, uh, you know, having that kind of book available, but not as a curriculum. It's for them to voluntarily uh, pick it up or look at it to see, you know, I've just heard a term, I don't understand it. I'll nip into the book and have a look at it. Yeah, it's it's excellent. I mean, and you mentioned that um, Jim Power. You always get him to cast his uh, eye over uh, over uh, the Ireland's economy. And mm. what's what's Jim predicting? Well, <coughs> I mean, we we've had you know we've got two ongoing wars. We've got the cost of living that's gone through the roof. But yet, you know, we've got a, a price war with electricity at the moment. So things are good. The interest rates for the hard pressed mortgage holder uh, are coming down. I'd say April, March, April. Um, that'll give them some respite for the first time their interest rates are going to come down. Uh, so um, it, it, it's, it's even with all that's going on, um, the, the economy is still kind of strong. And in particular in Ireland, uh, Ireland would be, you know, the blue-eyed boy of, or girl of the European nations. And uh, so uh, God knows, though, what's going to happen with, with the American election and all the things that are happening over there. Um, and then we don't know what's going to happen with uh, President Putin. And, you know, uh, you've got uh, young in uh, 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 the president of, of uh, North Korea. He's, he's a kind of a bit of a wild card as well. So the, the axes are changing. Uh, very much so, you know, to China, Russia, North uh, Korea, against everybody else, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the Israeli Hamas issues as well, yeah, which we just, is a nightmare. Yeah, a nightmare. We, just, we just don't know. All we can do is keep our fingers crossed and hope that everything sort of works, its, uh, works itself out. You always advocate uh, at the start of the year about writing a financial plan. Oh, gosh, yeah. I, you know what? I have five steps, Patricia. And, I, and really, these five steps at the start of the year... Uh, are, in my view, um, critical. Number one is that budget planner spreadsheet. It's so important to know how much it costs you to run your life on a monthly basis. So you can only do that by doing a budget plan, putting all your expenditure down monthly, uh, and then asking yourself those two questions. Do I need it? 
is there a better or cheaper alternative? What I'll do as well is I'll send you a budget planner spreadsheet to you in the program. And if your listeners want to, then um, we can send it out. You can send it out. Yeah, because I, I started doing I, it probably was 19 years ago in your first book, uh, John. I started doing it and it's something I do every single year. I set aside time at the end of the year to plan for the following year. And it's I, I hand on heart. It's, it, you never have to worry about a bill because I know exactly when bills are coming in yeah. and, and whatever. Um, and it just takes all of that. We, we've enough to be worrying about in life without the exactly. addition of a financial well, well, hopefully a financial at the end of your um, budget you have a surplus. It's either a surplus or a deficit. If it's a deficit, you've got three choices. You know, cut costs, earn more, or prioritise. And that's why, you know, 300,000 people stopped paying their health insurance in mm-hmm. the last five years. Um, but if, if it's surplus, it means you can plan. How many people who are listening to this have children who may be in maybe five, ten years' time going on to third level? Are they aware, for instance, that it's going to cost 42000 per child to send them to third level? And that's without master's. So 42,000, if they were able, and very few families can, were able to save the, the, the child benefit of 140 a month, and you, you, you put that uh, from day one when the child is born to when it stops, and up to last October, uh, the budget, it was the 18th birthday, it stopped now, it's going to be the 19th birthday. But anyway, the 18th birthday, you would have accumulated 28,560 euros without any interest you are still 14,000 shy of sending the same child to third level. It's incredible. It's, so, a, it's incredible. So it is all about planning. But, Everything's about planning. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, it, we we do know that people have some savings, particularly after COVID. There was a, a lot of uh, of money uh, that people weren't able to spend. You, know, you weren't able to go in, in holidays. Yeah. Uh, so I was reading during the week, the central bank say Irish households have over... 153 billion in, in savings. But the majority, 141 billion, is in what's called uh, overnight deposit accounts, making little or no interest. Correct. That must frustrate yeah. the life out of somebody like you. Absolutely, because, you know, like you've even got uh, there's 4.4 billion in prize bonds alone. And like the prize bonds, um, they increased the prizes and the prize fund uh, by 300%. It went from 0.35% of that 4.4 billion to 1%. So three times the prize money is now going back out. Uh, I mean, I, I have three clients with half a million each in, in prize funds when you could put half a million. The maximum now you can put in is a quarter of a million per person. Um, so, I mean, for, for, for those people, the, the good thing about the prize bonds is that it, it's guaranteed by the government. So you can't lose. You can't fail. And it's, 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 there's no gamble in it. Uh, I know a lot of people who, who swear by prize bonds. You know, that's, that's their... The thing and savings, which is the second thing, by the way, of the five, um, is is really important because this year you've got Christmas, mini holidays, main holidays, uh, Valentine's Day next month, birthdays, <laughs> anniversaries. Top them all up. What you're going to be actually paying because you are going to spend money and divide by twelve. That's what you should be putting away every month. So that it doesn't come as a surprise next Christmas that you've got money um, to kind of get you through Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And, and the regular saver accounts are the ideal vehicle there where you're paying up to 100 to 1,000 a month uh, in, in a regular saver account. You can only make one withdrawal a year and you do it and it's, it's done and dusted. So it's part of your budget. Yeah. Okay. And then the other one for for in order for people to try to save money, people not claiming tax refunds. Is that a fear of contacting the taxman? Um, well, they could do it either way. They could either uh, get people like taxback.com, 
uh, or taxrefund.ie. Um, uh, this, uh, I mean, the, these companies will actually check to see whether you are due a tax refund. I mean, you could have uh, not been claiming for medical or dental. Uh, you could have uh, an EIIS, um, you know, investment that you haven't claimed for. Uh, you could have your own little business um, that you, you know that uh, you're not claiming for tax relief, and that can all be uh, kind of you know given to you. And by the way, for the last four years. You can go back four years. So these companies like TaxFact.com, they'll actually check out to see, have you got any tax refund due? And if there is, they'll organize it, and they take a percentage, I think up to about maybe 16% of that of that uh, fund. If you're not able to do it yourself. If you're not able to do it yeah, yourself. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And then pensions is the other one, and they're covered extensively in your book, um, uh, John. Do you believe, um, and I know you believe pensions are a big thing, do you believe never too early, never too late to start Absolutely. One? Never never too early, certainly. I mean, I, I had a young lady who was 26. She just set up a, a pension there a couple of years ago, and she was visibly obsessed over the fact that she found out that she could have uh, set up the pension two years earlier <laughs> at 26. So, I mean, the younger you are, the better it is. The ironic mm. thing is, at the end of this year, you're going to have a thing called auto-enrollment, which is a joke in my view. Okay. Uh, I mean, the government have been bandying about this for the last 20-odd years, and finally they've come up with a plan. And it looks like uh, an employer has to set up an employee pension he has to contribute or she has to contribute one and a half percent of which uh, it must be matched by the employee that goes on for two years and the employee can bail out at that stage uh, but 10 years later they're both contributing six percent to that fund and the government are chipping in two percent that's 14 percent in total after 10 years Patricia which is pathetic you know, when you realize the graduate who comes out at age 23 goes into a job and they can put immediately 15% directly themselves from their salary into a pension to maximize their tax relief. And, you know, for people who are on the 40% tax rate, the pension is the best investment in Ireland bar none. I mean, the average growth in the stock market from 1991 to 2020 uh, every year was 10.72%. You add your 40% that you're getting back from the government for your contribution to the 10.72. That's 50.72%. Yeah. I don't know any yeah, investment yeah, that will give you that kind of that. return. Just stay on pensions because Anne has a question uh, to say. Anne says, I recently retired. I'm in receipt of a small pension. Where can I find information on how much I can earn without it affecting my pension? I worked in the public service, uh, but I'm interested in working again. <coughs> I'm wondering, can I... Can I go back and look for a job in the public service or would it affect my pension? No, it won't affect your pension at all. I mean, once you've, you've, you've drawn down a pension, you're still a, a, available to go out and, uh, and seek work, whatever. And I, I would advocate that it, it's actually m- mentally good for you. Um, and the thing is that once you're over 60, and presumably this lady is over 60, it means that she could put 40% of whatever earnings she has into a pension and get tax relief on it. So it, it's certainly well worth her while thinking about setting up a, another pension again. Um, th- th- there's a kind of a level around about eighteen, twenty thousand, 20,000 whereby uh, the income tax, it, there's no income tax to pay. You'll have a, a small amount of universal social charge and PSI over a certain level as well. But 
it would be minimal, but no income tax up to about eighteen twenty thousand. However, you know, if if she has the job and she has the pension, and then she has the state pension, that'll bring me the state pension is now fourteen and a half thousand. That'll bring you over, you know. And that kicks in at at sixty at sixty six. Even though they yeah. they are offering this deferral now at the moment, the government are. I'm not a great fan of that. Either. Are you not? No, because. Why? Um, because you might get slightly more. You have to live, uh, Patricia. Yeah. That's yeah, the only problem. Yeah. And you mightn't live. You might get run over by a bus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we won't wish that on anyone. So, so while we're thinking of you being run over by a bus, can I, I just finally, are you still offering the, the DIY, the low-cost wills package? Is that Ab- still absolutely. going? Absolutely. And yeah. that's going extremely well Is because it? people are certain, certainly realising they don't need to go to see a solicitor to set up a will. Um, they can do it themselves online and, and through my portal, uh, I mean, it, it's a very, very simple operation. And it only costs 50 euros. You can, you can amend it to your heart's content forever after that because you'll have the actual uh, original document. And don't forget, you need the original document to do probate. And what's with that package is a list of assets and personal information. For instance, if you were run over, Patricia, by a bus tomorrow... You're about to get me run over <laughs> by a bus, but go on. Does anybody know... The, pa- the pin number to your mobile phone and laptop. Uh, I, I, well, actually, yes. Do they? Well, yeah, you're okay. the, the rare ones yeah. because very few people do. As, but I can't couple. on the flip say that I know. I know his. <laughs> I'm thinking now I'm thinking now yeah but yeah I know what you're saying that yeah. is a huge issue so isn't it so that's part of that list of assets and personal information you put on that you okay. put your property your your accounts your pensions whatever else you have your other investments your set of golf clubs and then all your personal information like your PIN number for your social media um, passwords all those kind of things are on, on this document and that's pinned with the actual original uh, will document and then put safely into uh, you know a, a safe or a filing cabinet, locked filing cabinet. But you let the executor or executrix know where, where those documents are. Well done, well done. And and uh, it's it's uh, and I know you've been running it for a couple of years now, and I know uh, people are finding it fantastic. Uh, really, really finding it good. Okay, listen, John, I could talk to you all day, but listen, <laughs> I appreciate it. I always enjoy our chats. No doubt, we'll talk again Thank during you, the year. Thank you but very thanks much for indeed. joining happy us. New again, um, yeah. Many happy Thank returns. Bye bye. That is John Lowe. Uh, the Money Doctors 2024. His book is out. It's a great big tome of a book. Uh, but certainly, if you want to get your finances in order, it's a must read. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG. On the way, we are going to be speaking with a coastal ecologist. He's talking about how climate change is going to affect the flora and fauna of uh, this country. And also, we've got Peter Dowdle, our first chat with Peter of uh, 2024. A couple of people are on about the Money Doctors book that I spoke about with John Lowe. What's the name of the book? It's simply Money Doctors 2024. It gets revised every year, I'm sure. So I spotted it in, a, a, I think it's available in all, as they say, in all good bookshops. But you could also go online at Money Doctors. Doctors.ie. And then someone else says the will uh, that the, the, the low budget 
It's what they call the low-cost DIY wills and document package. It's uh, €50 plus VAT, uh, 61.50 in uh, total. It's just a one-off admin fee that you pay. How do you get your hands on that? Well, you can go again to their website, uh, www.moneydoctors.ie forward slash wills forward slash. And then someone else is on. Sheila says, Patricia, I don't want to to bother going to the doctor unless I really have to, but I caught a cold with a very chesty, phlegmy cough of absolutely no energy. It's nearly five weeks now, still have the cough, still have the no energy. Is something doing the rounds at the moment that could actually last that long? It's not COVID, says Sheila. I've done five tests and they're all uh, clear. As I say, I don't want to be bothering the doctor if it's just a seasonal uh, thing. Yeah, I know, Annalise, and if you want to send in a message when Annalise is on on Monday, Sheila, I'll certainly put your point to Annalise. I know we have been speaking over the, certainly before Christmas and certainly since we've come back after Christmas and people talk about this lingering cough that people are finding really, really hard to shake. I mean, Annalise referenced uh, something, said something about a hundred day cough or something she was talking about at one stage, so it could be something like that. But I'd always worry if it's very phlegmy, you know, that it's, that it's, it's an infection so don't ever think that you're bothering the doctor you're not and I know it can be difficult and I know doctors and GP practices are under pressure at the moment but if you're not shaking it off I certainly would put a call through to the doctor and maybe try and get an appointment but failing that send me in a text when Annalise is on on Monday and we'll get her opinion uh, as well and I hope it clears up soon Sheila thank you for your text 86 other calls and comments uh, coming into us okay some people are on about I mentioned roadworks I did. I mentioned them earlier on and a couple of people saying, where are those roadworks, Patricia? They are starting at the end of January. They're on the N72 Mallard Killarney Road. They'll go on for 25 weeks. It's remediation of the road surface, a new road surface, which will ensure better road safety and installation of drainage between Carrigaline and Listlehan on the N72. But the works are known as the... Liar de Owen, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Liar de Owen overlay scheme. And it, it is near the Rathmore side of the N72 between the Cullen turnoff and Rathmore. Okay, so I take it people in the area will know exactly where I'm talking about. Nearer the Rathmore side of the N72 between the Cullen turnoff and Rathmore starting at the end of this month and they will go on for 25 weeks. So you can expect delays, even though somebody says, Patricia, all the road from Rathmore to Cullen, it's probably the best part of that road. The worst part is from Cullen to Clonbannon Cross. It's unbelievably bad. So there's somebody <laughs> reckoning they're doing the wrong part of the road. And John and Liz Carroll said the road from Town to Dromina was resurfaced last summer, but they never remarked the road. So now there's no road markings. He says that can be very, very dangerous for uh, drivers. And costs going up and the number of cafes and restaurants that are closing. A couple of comments in on that. Somebody says, Patricia, prices did increase even when the VAT was reduced. It wasn't just hotels. I felt it happened all over the country. I paid €7.50 for a small portion of apple tart with a tiny bit of cream. I've also noticed the portion sizes have got smaller. Never again will I pay that price. I feel a lot of it is greed is uh, the problem. I'm always slow to accuse individual cafes of greed. They are really struggling because the cost of everything has gone up for them. But as as others notice that portion sizes are getting smaller when you're in cafes and restaurants. And Mary says, I was in a cafe just yesterday and I was well overcharged, I felt, for what I got 
but I did get the right change back. I think it's a word of warning for everyone. You need to check your you need to check your receipt at the till and always check your change and always look for a receipt. That's from Mary on refugees and asylum seekers and the people who are protesting and what's going on there. And somebody is saying, you know, we need to look after our own and talking about the rough uh, sleepers, uh, which we're hoping to address tomorrow on the programme. Somebody says, will, will we end up with another John McCarthy? He was the man who died near the doll, uh, wasn't it? Uh, before they stop RIP. It's awful to think of. And there was another, there was another homeless rough sleeper found in Dublin. Uh, just last week uh, they just don't seem to get as much publicity uh, unfortunately and I don't know why that uh, is somebody says Patricia there is one way to solve uh, the problem of trying to house all of the international protection applicants who arrive on our shores and that is opt out Ireland has an opt in out uh, opt, uh, opt out agreement from all of these people who are coming this listener said invading our country we have enough Irish homeless we should close our uh, borders uh, Noel says Patricia did I hear you say the government is going to buy a hotel in Ross Grey is it an April Fool's Day joke no it's not it got announced uh, just last night it's, uh, they're going to take over they're going to make it I don't know what they mean by a community uh, hotel but the idea is that it would be to me it sounds like a community centre but it would be used for community facilities for function. So when people are complaining in Ross Grey that there's nowhere to go for First World Communions or confirmations or to have a funeral, you know, a meal afterwards, um, they're saying the government are looking at this hotel that's been closed for a number of years, currently up for sale, not in use, and they're talking about buying it. It's Grant's Hotel, if anybody knows Ross Grey. It's, I mean, it's in the middle of the town. And the idea would be that the hotel would be would be purchased and used as a community facility. How that works, I don't know. I really don't know. The first I heard about it was last night. And seemingly there is a community hotel somewhere up the country. I think it's up, up sort of Mayo direction that they have one. So, th- so the, the model is in place. I've heard of community shops. There's some fantastic community shops up and running. The one I know best is the one in Court McSherry. I can see how community shops and people volunteer and help out. I don't know how a community hotel operates, if anybody has any more information on that. And then someone else says, Patricia, how uh, come so many of the Irish people have suddenly forgotten our own history and our own past? We had a famine in this country and it wasn't that long ago. We went all over the globe in search of a better life. We need more people to come into this country. We need more people like the likes of Bas. Baz Ashmawe, who is so proactive and brings such positivity. We need migrants. Migrants can bring wonderful, wonderful attributes to a country. And we have many fantastic immigrants who've come to this country to work, who are who are doing so much for their local communities and doing so much for the economy. Oh wait, one eight one oh three one oh three. But I suppose what people are worried about it's it's when it's trying to house the immigrants that are coming in who are looking for um, asylum and some are some are economic migrants many of them are probably economic uh, migrants uh, and yes many of the Irish went abroad as economic migrants uh, as well but you can't claim international protection as an economic uh, migrant you have to be fleeing war or persecution I think that's where that's where the confusion is at the moment and that's where the problems we're having at the moment too many people are coming here as economic migrants because they see it as a great country because we are a great little country but you know we can't house everybody unfortunately 0818103103 on the GAA and Supervalue Park still getting commentary in on this just I hope this message finds you well and safe it does thank you I think that people 
people should not support the GAA because with all the money that they charge to watch games, to go to games, to watch matches on behind a paywall, the money they're getting in from concerts, the deals that they're doing with the larger media like Sky, Virgin, well the Sky one is gone but Virgin Media, RTE, they make a lot of money. The GAA and the people running it are making it hard for the public to support the game anymore and that's from a West Cork listener. And in Ballin Temple says, Patricia, I cannot believe that they want to change Porky Cueve's name to Supervalue Park. What are they doing with all the money that they get in for matches and for uh, concerts? Well, you know, you can look up the, the GAA. I mean, I take it that they publish their accounts every year. They'll say they've got this huge debt hanging over their head because of the redevelopment of Porky Cueve. And they owe 30 million has got to be paid back on it. And I love this one. Someone says, are you going to the match on Sunday in Porky Cueve? I am, says I. And that's what people will say. It won't change. People just need to cop on. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. If you or somebody you know needs help with reading, writing, spelling or numeracy, please contact the Adult Learning Centre in Mallow Parish Centre 022 42642. They open Monday to Thursdays, half nine to half one. And then on Fridays, they're open 9am to 12. The students of Coachford College are currently fundraising for Motor Neuron Ireland. Over the course of a week, the students are walking a thousand laps of their school pitch with all students walking together on Friday for the last three laps. They're asking for your support for Motor Neuron Ireland by donating through idonate.ie forward slash fundraiser forward slash Coachford College Walk. And the Ross Moore Variety Show is back this weekend, Friday and Saturday. They're fundraising for Palliative Care, Cancer Connect, Kilmean Community Development Association and Kilmean GAA. Tickets are available from gr8events.ie. You simply scroll to Ross Moore Variety Show. And a fundraising coffee morning in aid of Gaza will be held in Newmarket on next Saturday morning and it's from 12 noon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now, there are many uncertainties about how climate change will impact on Ireland's flora and fauna. But according to one expert, the threat to their status quo is very, very real. John Barrimo is Manager of Sustainable Development Solutions Network Ireland. And uh, John joins me to share his concerns this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon, Patricia, and and thanks for inviting me. Well, listen, you're very welcome to the programme. Do you worry that for some, because Ireland isn't burning up, that people think, actually, climate change only affects countries way over there, so we have nothing to be worried about here? I I do worry, and it it can keep me up at night sometimes if I'm not careful. And one of the reasons that brought me to Ireland um, seven years ago 
is from Miami is being an ecologist with recognizing the early signs of something of, there are many reasons, but one of them is something of a early stage um, climate refugee, you know? And so there is that aspect to it or migrant, should I say? And, um, but I mean, even this year, right? I've heard so many people ask me, well, what's going on? How come I'm having daffodils blooming in my garden in, at Christmas time mm-hmm. and other flowers and snowdrops out already and all these things. And it's, you know, so we're, we're actually seeing it right in the here and now and it's it's that that's a little more easy, easy for most people to grasp because we live in the moment so much and there there are there aren't that many of us i think that really spend time thinking about the future and what's happening generations from now and you know or even in longer time scales you know and um so that's a little bit more abstract but when we start to see those tangible things that we're experiencing. We're, we're starting to see the subtlety of yeah, some of that, these changes. And that's, that should be our wake-up call. And and you make a good point that to, to really have a good look and a really good perspective on what is happening, uh, we need to almost step back in time and, and look at what was happening before. Can you just explain that? Yeah, and, and, that, and we, you know, we should never forget history, right? You know, otherwise we'd be doomed to repeat it in many ways, you know. But the thing is with, with climate, we, we know it varies over time. And, and that's, you know, and this is what, you know, the geologists and the chemists have, have taught us by, you know, looking at the ice cores from Antarctica and doing the microchemistry and we can see the changes in carbon. You know, there's all these really sophisticated techniques where they've reassembled over the last 150,000 years what the climate was. And what we see is that there were variations, but they would be, they would take a long time to happen. And, you know, and right now when you look at it and you can just see how quickly, quickly temperature is changing. And in the past, you know, we look, you know, even further into the fossils, you know, you know, of, you know, like when the, the dinosaurs went extinct 66 million years ago, that was some physical impact from outer space, right? A meteor hitting Earth is, you know, is what the, the evidence indicates. And so there was a traumatic event from outside. But this one, what's unusual uh, of such a large event is that it's caused by humans, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what this idea of an Anthropocene is, is that we're, ca- you know, we're bringing about a whole new geological epic really by our practices and our technology and what we're doing with the Earth. And I saw you making headlines in the, in the Examiner, it was this week or, or late last week, when you, this is, there's already, even if it's anecdotal, but there's already some evidence that the Atlantic puffins that nest in the Skellig Islands, tell us what's happening with them. Well, I, I, there, there's one thing that, you know, the, the, the British um, Trust for Ornithology did a study and, and they found, you know, and they're predicting by 2050, um, 90% of the puffins will be gone to, to Northern Ireland, to Ireland, and the whole island and the island of Britain. So, um, so that's, you know, that's a pretty grim prediction. But, you know, th- this last year there was, you know, you know that there are there is some tracking of them, and they left a little bit early. You know, and that could be natural variations, but it could be you know the food's not you know the the food patterns are changing, so they may have to go chasing food, or the temperature could have driven them off, or you know it, it's hard to know why you know you know because we can't talk to them right, but you know but we can see these um, you know related to patterns, and you can say okay well that's just a natural variation, but it means we really need to pay attention to them because if this starts happening consistently. And something that used to be more like clockwork and it's now is drifting, you know, this is showing us, you know, the changes are happening. And I, I myself see the puffins like a canary in the coal mine. You know, in the old yeah, days, they took yeah, the canary yeah. into the coal mine yeah. just to make sure it was safe. 
you know, and so these are species that are more sensitive to these changes than we are. But eventually we're going to be, you know, we're going to be feeling the impacts too more. Yeah, and we have a weekly gardening slot with uh, Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, and he's always advocating for people to plant uh, native uh, species. And I know you would have concerns uh, about introducing species and plants into this country because we're we're already seeing the problems. I mean, the Japanese um, knotweed is one, the rhododendrons in Killarney. Yeah, and, the, and these are things where, you know, and, I, and your gardener's a wise man, I'll say, but, um, you know, the thing is that these natural, what's here, right, it's been timed and all this stuff and sort of the evolutionary processes and natural selection have shaped them for this, you know, this the habitat here. But then with that, you know, the pollinators, the, um, you know, birds eating the seeds, all these things, it's all got like sort of that, that habitat value for, for the wildlife. And when we bring in a lot of these um you know, introduce species that just take over areas like in Killarney with the rhododendron, they have little value for the wildlife. And the problem is our wildlife has been so impacted, you know, considering the time when, you know, I mean, if we go way back before the Bronze Age, you know, this was an island of forest. It was, even mm-hmm. the Burren was forest, you know, and, and, and to realize how little natural habitat there is left for a lot of species. Yeah, and, we've, and know, we're losing it, it, we're losing so much of, oh, yeah, of those habitats. Yeah. And the thing is too, when, when their habitat shrinks, so does their genetic diversity. And so they become more inbred. And when that happens, it, it's harder for them to adapt to big changes like climate or diseases or, or whatever. So they're more vulnerable on top of it all. And we had devastating floods in Middleton and the East Cork area with Storm Babette back in, in October. And, you know, I remember many years ago when, when I started doing this programme, which is now over 30 years ago, we used to speak about events like the 100-year flood. We seem to be seeing more and more of these floods. Oh, yeah. And I think it was like uh, they had a 1,000-year event in Czechoslovakia, the, or Czech, Czech Republic, excuse me, um, you know, a few you know, a few years ago, and, and, and that's really, you know, I've never heard of that in my life, you know, that, that's that unprecedented. But, you know, and, it, and this this wasn't just Middleton, right? Galway got hit, yeah. Belfast got hit pretty hard as well. And and even, you know, when what was it, Hurricane Ophelia? Yeah. You know, I, I know from Miami, there's a hurricane coming, I'm trying to tell people, and they're like, ah, it's just, you know, and they didn't quite realize it. And I'm trying to say, no, no, you got to understand. But and I know that remnants of hurricanes can come over here in the late summer and the fall, but this was an intact hurricane still having a something of an eye as it passed over Valencia Island, you know, as you can look at the pressure data. It, it, it had stopped functioning as a hurricane, but it was still a very impactful storm. Yeah, it was it was scary. And I know a lot of the outcomes are, are still a, a big unknown. But John, just to finish off, as individuals or as communities, what can we do? Well, I, I think the biggest one is, is you know, part of democracy isn't really just electing an official and then I, I cast my vote and I'm done and I'll come back four years later, five years later, whatever it is. But it, it's really, you know, where, where there's opportunity and even seeing these people to bring up these issues that are important. And this is something that's going to affect our children, our grandchildren. And when we start thinking of it in those terms, do we really want to do this to them? You know, so... If you have that moment, you know, use it wisely. And, you know, a big one is the European elections are coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Europe gives $300 billion, and that was actually a misprint in that article, it's billion, um, euros a year in subsidies to the fossil fuel sector. 
That's Why? crazy. You know, a lot yeah. of that's nor- and worldwide, it's seven trillion in subsidies to some of the richest corporations on earth. So why are they getting these subsidies? And that's something that if I get that opportunity with an MEP candidate, I am sure going to, you know, press them on that. Okay. You know, that could be money used for developing technologies for, you know, reducing the carbon and, you know, uh, sustainable energy, renewable energy. Okay, listen, it was great to have you on the programme. Great to have you here in Ireland as well, uh, John. Uh, please, God, we'll speak again. But thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Patricia. You have a good day. Good afternoon to you. Bye-bye. That is John uh, Barrymore, who's of uh, UCC, but he's also manager of Sustainable Development Solutions Network uh, Ireland. Uh, So much unknown, but there's a lot of fears, fear into the future unless we do something about uh, climate change. 0818-103-103. Keep your questions coming in for Peter Dowdell. Please, Peter's going to be joining us our first chat of 2024. If you have a question for Peter, get it in now or you can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103103 uh, just this is coming in from the GAA it's the Co-op Superstores Munster Hurling League game you know the Cork Limerick match it was uh, rescheduled for Rathkeel this evening it's been called off and it's the second time remember the fixture was initially postponed it was due to be played in uh, Mallow last Sunday week and there was lots of people given out because they got to the match and then they discovered it was being uh, called, called off but we're now being told that the rescheduled for Rathkeel has been called off and I'm assuming that's because of the weather conditions. A new date is expected to be announced later today. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And for our first chat for 2024, delighted to welcome back uh, Peter Dowdell. Happy New Year to you, Peter. And Happy New Year to you, Trish, okay. to uh, a more seasonable weather than what we had before Christmas. Absolutely, even though I met Erin are saying that the temperatures are going to go up at the weekend, so we'll keep our fingers crossed uh, for that. And actually, I uttered your name in the an interview that I just did with Dr. John Barrymore. He's from uh, UCC, he's an ecologist, but he's also manager of Sustainable Development Solutions Network Ireland. And he joined us just to talk about climate change and the effect it's going to have on the flora and fauna of this country going forward and he was just sharing his concerns and I mentioned by the way that you are a great advocate of planting native trees and shrubs because he's talking about the damage the rhododendrons have done, have done in Killarney he says you're a very wise man to suggest native trees and shrubs but he cited as an example the daffodils and that people contacting him to say that their daffodils were in flower uh, you know before Christmas and he was saying like it is one of the indicators of climate change whether people want to realise it or not yeah, it is. And well, there are, of course, some varieties of daffodils which naturally flower early. But but in general, yeah, he's absolutely right. And it, it, it's leading to what's referred to as a, an ecological mismatch, um, which is where things are flower like, like many plants flower. At the, sorry, plants flower at their, their time of year, if you like. And, and over millennia, insects and the tapestry has all adapted at the same time. So particular inf- insects, if you like, and pollinators who rely on particular flowers as a source of food at a particular time of year, you know, the, the, they, they may come out of hibernation for at the particular time that the plant should be in flower to find that the plants have flowered a month ago. And now those insects or those pollinators don't have, can't feed. And for example, I use the example of, of, of an, an, the apple blossom. So the apples should blossom in kind of April, May time. Uh, bees have adapted with that over the millennia to, to come out of hibernation around the same time. So imagine if you're 
relying on your apple harvest for your business, for your yeah. livelihood, for, for food. And then the, the bees come out of hibernation, the apples, let's say, if they flowered early, let's say, and let's say there was a late frost. Well, you've no pollen, your apples aren't pollinated and the bees have no food. So it's, it is, it is, like it's, it's that without question, it's the effect of climate change and, and leading to an increased rate of species extinction. It is, it, it's, it's worrying, unfortunately. Yeah, because I was making the point to him and it always annoys me when you hear people say, just because, you know, Ireland, we're not burning up, we're not getting these massive high temperatures. People say, climate change doesn't affect us at all. It does. The reality is, it does. Well, it does affect us, but I suppose more, most importantly is like, it, it, we're all on the one planet. We're all on the one tiny little dot. Do you know what I mean? So if it affects it affects sub, sub-Saharan Africa, I'm afraid to be selfish about it. It's only a matter of time before that has an effect on us and yeah. in global food supply and things like that. Yeah. You know, So it, it does affect all of us. OK, let's get straight into questions. A lot of them already coming in. Could you ask, Peter, can you cut back raspberry bushes and dig up rhubarb now? Would it be a good time to do it? Yes and yes. So yeah, I mean, your your raspberry canes could have been cut back any time really during the autumn winter, but you could still do it. What you're doing when you're cutting back raspberry canes is you're more thinning them out, Trish. So uh, canes that were, you know, that fruited last year, which would be the foxy brown in colour, they they should be removed. And the ones that didn't fruit last year that were green in colour they should be left up to fruit for next year. Uh, so you don't need to reduce the height, it's just you're reducing the quantity, removing previous year's fruiting canes. Uh, and in terms of lifting your rhubarb, I'm going to say qualified yes. <laughs> so now, now what I mean by that is now is a perfect time of the year to do that, except when the ground is physically frozen. So probably this week, no, but in general, January would be a fine time to lift and move rhubarb, yes. OK, lots of people are asking about, is it too late to plant bulbs for the coming season? Someone in particular is talking about daffodil bulbs, even though we're talking about some daffodils already flowered. Yes, I know. But yeah, the, the, the answer to the question, is it too late? I would say no, it's not too late. And if you now you won't get any now, they're not available anymore. But if you have some, let's say you might have bought some like many of us and you forgot to plant them or didn't get around to it or it was too wet. Uh, well, then if you have them and if they're still firm to the touch, absolutely plant away. Or worst case scenario, they might flower a bit later, but they, they should still be fine and they, they won't store. So you have no choice, really. You may as well plant them. Now, I just got speaking of climate change, I just got an email from uh, the Dutch grower tulip growers just to let me know that because of uh, so many of their fields flooded in the autumn oh. in Holland that again the climate change there is going to be a scarcity of tulips this year and uh, the, the range is going to be far so in the autumn of this year for next spring there's going to be far fewer tulips and less range of tulips available. Well, actually, just at the weekend, I found I was doing something up in the shed and I found five bags, four bags of um, bulbs that I'd forgotten that I'd purchased. And I was going, oh, so they were all firm to the touch. So I said, let's go with it. So I've thrown them all into pots and I shall let you Keep know. Keep us posted. Yeah, I will let Keep you know posted, how, how yeah. I get on. OK, somebody else says, um, Peter, is it worth buying a scarifying rake for your lawn to remove excess moss? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of the best things you can do for the lawn. Um, so to scarify a, a lawn, Trish, means in effect it's like a, a, a mechanical rake. And what you're doing is you're you're cutting into the top kind of few centimetres of the soil surface. So you're removing, you're pulling up all that, what we call thatch. So thatch is like a buildup of, of decaying tissue and dying tissue. So like dying grass and moss and bits and pieces. Uh, when that 
when that starts to build up quicker than what it decomposed, that leads to unfavorable growing conditions, if you like, for grass. So removing that patch once a year, uh, ripping it up, lets air back into the area and it will lead to a healthier lawn. So absolutely yeah, worth doing. Probably best doing it in March, March, early April. Chris says, uh, just Peter, please. When is the best time to plant lavender? I want to have a bed of all lavender in raised beds and I can almost smell them when they're in full bloom. <laughs> Stunning plant, one of my favourites. So the, the every everything nowadays is grown really in, in garden centres is grown in pots. So that means you can plant 12 months of the year, again, with the exception of when the ground is physically frozen or waterlogged. So I would say it is too cold. Now I would, for lavender particularly, it's a Mediterranean plant. I would wait certainly until the, we come into spring and the temperatures start rising. So I would say March, April. And that also ties in with when the garden centres will have their new crops available. So you get good, healthy, new, fresh lavender plants uh, March, April and plant away. Trick with lavender, raised bed is ideal because it should allow good drainage. Trick with lavender is that it's a very well-drained soil because it's native to Mediterranean regions where it would be growing in very, you know, freely free-draining soils uh, and keep trimming it back. Don't let it get big because if you let it get big and you hack it back, it'll just die in you. So constant trimming, always be cutting it back a small bit. And enjoy when they're in full bloom. Uh, for my listener, can I trim back my roses now, please? Yeah, you can, absolutely. You, anytime between now and the end of February. Uh, again, just because the ground, the temperatures are so low, I probably wouldn't do that kind of work right now. But uh, but you can anytime between now and the, the end of February. I was actually up in a garden yesterday walking around it with somebody uh, advising on it. And the, there was about half a dozen rose bushes. I couldn't believe it, like minus five or whatever it was the night before last. Uh, and there were still a few flowers in the rose bushes. Hard to believe. Yeah, my neighbour, one of his, has red roses on it. And we were we were admiring them at Christmas. And and I was only looking the other day and they're still they're still there and whether they'll survive the frost now. <laughs> but it are. was just lovely to see it. Really lovely to see it. Um, hi, Peter. I have a lily plant in the garden, but since the cold weather, the plant is sagging. Has the frost damaged it or should I have covered it? That's from Margaret in Douglas. Well, Margaret, unfortunately, the term lily covers a multitude, if you know what I mean. So it does depend what it is. But send us in a picture. Um, We'll have a look at it. It, I don't know is the short answer because it does depend on which lily it is. So if it was a canna lily or something like that, that would be tender and there would be a risk. But um, it it totally depends on which type of lily. If it's St. Anthony's lily, which you wouldn't expect to be up over the ground yet, that'll bounce back from this. I would think we're going to be okay, but it does depend on on which lily it was. So if you can send in a picture uh, to the programme and we'll, we'll... We'll have a look at it. Okay, and Paddy is mad to get out and cut the grass. He says if the temperatures do go up, which is predicted by Met Aaron at the weekend, can he cut the grass at the weekend? You can come and cut mine. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, you can. If the temperatures go up. Uh, so again, the, the, like we were so mild right up to Christmas, except it was so wet, we couldn't get the grass cut. Uh, this cold spell will obviously put, slow it down. But um, if if the temperatures start creeping up and if it's dry enough and there's no frost on the grass, absolutely you can cut away next week or at the weekend. Okay, let me see if I can make this out. Gardening question. My young newly planted tree has lost its main, is it a pickle leader stem? Yeah, apical. Apical. For it uh, to keep it growing upwards. Can I use the next lower branching stem and tie it upright vertical with a piece of twine in the hope that this will train the stem to grow as the new leader? Do you understand all of that? Absolutely. Okay. I do. I do. And yeah, absolutely you can. So the apical, the apical bud is the, the top bud, if you like, of any tree, Trish. So the leader is quite simply the, the main stem. It's, you know, the one that's for a tree or any plant. The leader is the one that's 
you know, the leader. It's reaching for the yeah. sky. Um, so, so the leader can often be pruned out deliberately to create a bushy centre as opposed to that normal crown. Or very often what happens is the leader can fail for whatever reason. It could get diseased or broken off or whatever. And absolutely, you can just train something else to take over as the leader. So what they're describing is, yes, the next branch down, if you were to put a strong stake or a strong bamboo in, in beside the tree and tie that one so instead of it growing outwards, you're tying it gently, make sure not to crack it, tie it gently so that it, it becomes, it starts growing up and it does replace the leader. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And keep us posted. OK, listen, Peter, we leave it there. We'll chat to you next Wednesday. Thank you for that. Thanks, Trish. Look forward to it. Ah, Bye-bye. Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com. We are back in with Peter uh, for another year. OK, just to tell you, I've had a traffic, Cork traffic reports of a breakdown on the N28 towards Ringeskiddy at Shan Valley. And the advice is please take care on approach. And the Cork, the match has been refixed. OK, this is the Cork to Limerick the Cork versus Limerick game. I've got Cork to Limerick. The Cork versus Limerick uh, game, which was due to be replayed, rescheduled tonight in Rathkeel. It's been called off, obviously, because of the weather. We're now being told it's been refixed for next Sunday in Rathkeel. And fingers crossed the weather will be okay and it'll be two o'clock in the afternoon. That's what I've got to leave you for today. My apologies. You can get all your texts and comments. We'll get to them, though, uh, tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.